Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Love Ministries podcast. We're in this series on preparing for Pentecost. Last time was specifically about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives to change us, to transform us, to empower us to walk in the way that God would have us walk, to walk loving and being loved and not harming, and that it would bring glory and joy. Yeah, so that was the gist of last time. Oh, it was just so fun to meditate on and think about. And probably I'll end up having to do another talk about still, how do we discern the Holy Spirit's voice, His leading, His walking, etc.? Okay, so we talked about that the Spirit came into our lives and that we keep in step with, we walk by, we are led by, that He bears fruit, we pay attention to what He desires, set our minds on, etc. And most of all, that we have been given power, love, and self-discipline by the Spirit to actually walk in this way. What I want to focus on today, though, is the need for Him to change and transform our minds, where He says, again, the mindset on the sinful nature— produces death, but the mind set on, governed by the Holy Spirit, leads to life and peace. Well, how do we change our minds? Our minds, right, have just been so wired for so long to live according to our sinful nature or just to live according to our bodily cravings or just whatever pops into our mind. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be bad stuff, right? We're just so used to thinking about us, ourselves, thinking about, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I got this to do. I've got that to do. And I think I'll go do this. And I think I'll do that. And just trying to let the Spirit of God break in, just beginning to change and have this mindset of regularly going, so Holy Spirit, what do you desire? Holy Spirit, what do you desire? Holy Spirit, how might you be leading me now? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you doing in my life? Holy Spirit, what are you doing next? Just trying to get that is a huge shift. And a huge part of it begins in our minds. A very powerful verse is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul's drawing this awesome conclusion to this whole thing about about the fact, again, it kind of goes back to Moses in the tent of meeting, and he would come out. And if those of you are familiar with that Old Testament story, that his face would be radiating, filled with glory, and that he'd have to put a veil over his face because people couldn't look at him. But then when he'd go back into the tent of meeting, he would remove the veil when he was talking with the Lord. And especially, Paul points out the fact that eventually, though, the glory would fade from Moses' face. So, it's kind of this crazy thing. He's working a number of things about veil and about glory. But his final statement is this. He says, we all, and he's talking about those who have believed in Jesus and have been filled with the Spirit where he said that the veil was taken away. He says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Not a fading glory, but an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, ever-increasing glory transformed into the image. But how is that happening? Well, it's with unveiled faces that we are able to actually see God, to see Jesus in the scripture and see in such a way where we don't just read about, but we see, we think, we meditate upon, we, we engage in what God was doing, what Jesus was doing so that it can become an experience for us as well. But the critical thing is that he's saying, no, we contemplate, we meditate, we stare at, we think on, 
God's glory, which he says in chapter 4, is in the face of Christ Jesus. It's the life of Christ Jesus. The glory of God was in Jesus. Remember in John chapter 1, John says that he came full of truth and grace, but he came to reveal God to us so that we could see God. We could see the glory of God. Consider even this in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Moses had asked God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you my glory, but he also couches it in the language of, I will reveal to you my goodness. So, when his glory passes by, it's actually God describing his goodness, where he says, I am Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the glory of God. This is the goodness of God. This is what we contemplate, meditate, reflect on, stare at, try to absorb it, experience it in such a way that it becomes a part of our lives where that's the ever-increasing glory, that the image, the image that we are trying to become like is none other than Jesus himself. Romans 8, 29, Paul said, Those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Folks, uh, the other part about changing us from the inside out, changing us to live the way we were designed to live, is ultimately changed to live like Jesus lived. Because he lived the fully, truly human life that all of us were predestined really to live. He lived in the love of the Father. He lived, John 15, 9, as the Father loved him, he loved. He lived full of, in the power of, and led by the Holy Spirit. And he surrendered, followed, yielded to what is empowered by so that he lived this life without sin. He lived a life all the time, being able to conquer temptation, being able to overcome the cravings. He lived the life that you and I are supposed to be able to be growing more and more in the ability to live. And this is who he's transforming us into, is to love like Jesus to walk like Jesus, to live like Jesus, because he lived the human life in the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived resisting the enemy. He lived struggling with temptation or struggling with being overwhelmed. Remember in the garden, he wanted plan B. He wanted another option, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Wow, isn't that the point? His life was, nevertheless, not my will, not the enemy's will, your will. He lived doing the will of God in all circumstances, in all situations, and he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's unfortunate because of this idea that's absolutely 100% true that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, but we tend, it seems, to think that Jesus lived the kind of life he did because he was God. But the scriptures make it abundantly clear that Jesus was fully, fully human and that he lived that life. That life, the human life remaining in his love because he was always obeying the Father's commands, always doing the Father's will. He did it saying, not my will, but yours be done. And then 
The Holy Spirit empowered him to follow through. The Holy Spirit empowered him to make those choices, to make those decisions, to do what the Father would have him do. Well, here the text is saying, this is what God's goal is for us, that you and I with unveiled faces, where we actually can see the Lord's glory just like Moses did, but now we see it especially in Jesus. As we concentrate on Jesus, spend time with Jesus, ask the things that he did as we read about, that he would make those things come alive to us in our hearts and our minds. And especially as we see them modeled and done through one another. For those of you, again, who are familiar with what we do, and especially the curriculum of First Love to Love, two primary exercises we do is listening to the Lord talk to us through the scripture, but the second one is what we call God sightings. And it's in God sightings where we're trying to pay attention to the fact that God, by His Spirit, is in fact living in us and loving through us in such a way that we can see God in one another. 1 John 4.12, he says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God dwells among us and His love reaches full expression, is made complete among us. His point is the fact that in the same way when Jesus came and revealed the Father so that we could see God, he said it earlier in John chapter 1, John said, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Likewise, by the Spirit and by us being transformed more and more and more into the likeness of God, into the likeness of Jesus, we exhibit their character, we exhibit their actions. We exhibit and speak the way they would speak, that people can see God, we can experience God. And that's the power of this God sighting exercise is that as we pay attention to those loving interactions of how we've been loved, how we've loved others, and especially sometimes watching how people are loving one another, we see those who are loving like Jesus and we focus on it, we experience it, we watch it, we're a part of it, it renews our mind. It trains us, it transforms us, and as we pause to meditate on it and think about it and replay the experience, as we do this, we are contemplating on the Lord's glory. We are contemplating on God's goodness, His glory being manifest through other people, and we are transformed, we are changed, our brain begins to become rewired. But the other way, of course, that we focus on renewing our mind is through His Word. It is spending time looking at how God loved and looking how Jesus loved and others loved in the Scripture and His ways, which, again, I teach in so many different contexts. I don't know what I've said on a podcast and what I've said in other contexts, but one day I actually went through all the commands of Jesus as best I could sort them out. I came up with 73, but I put them in categories, loving God, loving neighbor, loving enemy, and loving Jesus, and recognize that I could put all 73 commands into one of those four categories. You understand what I'm saying is that everything that Jesus taught was about love. Everything that Jesus taught was about what loves God, what loves our neighbor, what loves one another, what loves Jesus, and also at times what isn't loving. What causes harm? So don't do this because that causes pain and it causes anger and frustration and unrest and chaos, right? So don't do those things. The teaching 
renewing our mind, focusing on His teaching, His words, and His ways in such a way that we recognize that all of it is about how to live this life of love. As we memorize them, as we meditate on them, our mind begins to be rewired. So, that's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, in, in the Corinthians text, he said, we are transformed by contemplating on the Lord's glory as the Spirit is changing us. And here he says, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Hello? What God's will is. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. See, a big part of walking in the Spirit is that as we get His will memorized and meditated upon in our minds, is that, see, the other thing that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do is that He said, when the Spirit comes, John 14, 26, He said, He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. Well, if we don't spend time paying attention to what He told us, how can He remind us? He also says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Well, He's both going to teach you and guide you into what that truth is, but He's going to help you see the truth in the Bible and help you get it into you so that He can draw on it. So that what happens when your mind is renewed, a lot of times the leading of the Holy Spirit is just causing Him to, or where He just like touches on our brain and on thoughts and ideas that are all the will of God that have been sown and cultivated and grown and matured and developed and rewired in our minds. So that He just comes and empowers, He comes and, and, and is a part of our thinking so that we do the things that God has sown into our minds, that our minds have been transformed. And then the Spirit works with that. The Spirit triggers that, affects that. So, there's a part of this where it's not like you're just going along almost like a robot and the Holy Spirit's just operating everything. It's true that He's there to empower, but there's stuff we have to do too. We need to spend time contemplating on the Lord's glory. There is time we need to spend in His Word learning about Him, knowing about Him, His ways and His will and His character, and we get it deeply sown into our mind so that the Spirit can work with that. So, there's a cooperative thing. There's a participation thing that's going on here. And the more our mind is renewed, the more the Spirit has to work with to trigger, to activate, and it becomes second nature to us, and then He empowers us to pull it off. Well, the last thing I want to encourage us with, though, is to recognize that, yeah, there's work for us to do, but just to remind us that elsewhere, again, we, we've already talked about the fact that the Spirit is the one who's leading us and empowering us and whatever, but specifically, the author of Hebrews and Paul say that God is also working with us to help us. In Philippians 2, verse 13, Paul says, for God is working in you. And again, it's corporate He's working among you, but to work among you means He's working in each of us. So, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him, is the way the New Living Translation put it. The NIV says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work. No, actually, this is the NASB. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. 
the best part about this, you guys, is that the Spirit's there empowering us to lead us, to trigger us, to, to guide us, to speak to us. But God is at work, and I think especially at work, helping us with the desire, Paul says, the desire, the will to spend the time to do the activities that are necessary to transform our minds so that the Spirit has something to work with. And he says that it's to will and to work, or in the NLT said, I'm giving you the desire and the power to do. But the idea is that, yes, He, in fact, empowers us both our will, our desire for change, but also the ability again to do it. But what I especially wanted to point out in my father's commentary on Philippians, he says when the NASB says both to will and to work for His good pleasure, Dad's belief is that the way the Greek can be also understood there is that God does this because it pleases Him to do so. Remember Romans 8 when he says, if I am for you, who can be against you? I just love this. When dad's making the point that it's very likely what Paul meant, and maybe it's both and, to do what pleases him, but also that it brings him pleasure. Maybe both are true. But for our sake to finish out today is simply that it pleases God. It brings him pleasure to work with us, to help us with the desire, and to help us to do. That we're not doing this alone. And my point is, you guys, is that the best part, again, why we're celebrating Pentecost is that it's God by the Spirit who is in us. And by the Spirit is God who is working in us to will and to work because it pleases Him to do so. That this work that we have to put into it in terms of the transforming of our minds is not just us by ourselves. He's going to help you do it. So I just pray, Lord, bless my brothers and sisters, all those who are listening today, that they would be encouraged by the fact that you can and will change our minds, transform our minds, and that as we spend time working at putting stuff into our minds so the Holy Spirit has something to work with, Lord, you're going to help us with this so that it becomes second nature, and most of all, so that we can live like Jesus lived obeying your commands, remaining in his love, and experiencing full and complete joy. So Lord, help us in Jesus' name. God bless you all, and have a great day. Mm-hmm.